kinds of cardboard boxes. What's in the box? Hey, PDU crew, how you doing? This is Avelio Matos on the Package Design Unboxed podcast. Thanks so much for joining me here. Today, we've got Jamie Alol. Jamie Alol is the creative director and founder of Supple Studio in UK. We get into a ton of different things. I think one of the most interesting things that we talk about is like what he learned coming up as a designer at various studios. He launched an agency called Magpie Studios. We talk about what he learned there and what he's applying from those learnings to this new studio, Supple. We also get into the nits and grits of designing brand and packaging. I got really excited when I realized that Supple was responsible for one of my favorite packs ever. It's for From Jackets. I didn't even know that these boxes were for From Jackets or who they were for. I just loved the packaging so much. Also, they won a ton of awards and what they have, they are stock boxes. So nothing sexy there, but Supple made these things just desirable by the artwork, the design that went into these. The boxes are printed with these huge beetles on the top of them. Like not, I want to hold your hand beetles, but like actual literal beetles, like bug beetles. The boxes are beautiful, tons of color. We get into that client and the story of like this small startup, this up and coming brand that wanted to develop amazing packaging and kind of just put everything in Jamie's team's hands. The crazy part is that they spent less than 10 days knocking out the entire design process from strategy to completion. We get into what they did, how they produced it, tons of information. Also the fact that Jamie and his team won a ton of awards uh, at Penn Awards for this pack. And then Jamie's also going to be joining me as a judge on the Penn Awards jury this year. So just make sure you submit your packaging to Penn Awards. I look forward to judging your packaging with Jamie. Do me a favor and subscribe to the podcast as well as rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. That helps me a lot to make sure that this podcast gets out to more people and helps them learn about design and packaging. Thanks so much. Let's get to the show. I founded Supple eight and a half years ago. It's going to be nine years this year. Kind of set it up to be purposefully small, really. I'd run a slightly larger agency in London for five years called Magpie Studio. Just felt like, you know, I, I could sort of change the setup a little and just have a kind of smaller core team and collaborate with more specialists for the kind of other things that we needed to do, whether that's illustration, animation, copywriting, photography, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And also by being small, we don't have to kind of take on any kind of work. You know, we don't have to feed the beast. We can kind of be a bit more picky and cheesy with the the kind of clients we work with. We kind of work on lots of different types of projects. And that's, I guess, what keeps it fresh for us, what keeps us excited. Uh, one of our design directors is has kind of worked at big FMCG packaging agencies like Turner Duckworth. And then my background is a little more in print and brandings and yeah i guess what i guess what magpie kind of led to is just like a way of working where it's it's less about working in a particular sector or in a particular kind of specialism and more just being kind of a broad designer i guess and just creative in the broader sense you know hence we've worked on tv identities and things mm-hmm. for channel four kind of on-screen branding we've worked on packaging projects like Bram and other kind of uh, fmcg sort of stuff but i guess the kind of core of what we do is brand identities and things that trickle down from those so you know the, the thing i love about creating a brand identity is you kind of go from that strategy into the concept and then the way that that brand identity is rolled out really depends on the sector that it's in and the kind of mm-hmm. 
uh, touch points and things that are needed. That's what keeps it fresh, really. More recently, I guess in the last two to three years, we pushed more towards working with not-for-profits and sort of purpose-driven clients, uh, social impact, climate impact, that kind of stuff. And through that, we've moved on to a journey of becoming a B Corp. So we're just at the moment putting together application mm-hmm. to become a B Corp, which we're, we're sending off in April. And it's just, you know, we haven't really changed anything we do, but the road to B Corp that we've taken has kind of shone a light on the amount of work that we do in the not-for-profit and and uh, impact sector. And actually, you know, I knew we were doing quite a lot, but it's actually 55% of what we're doing at the wow. moment, which is amazing. You know, we're still a for-profit company. We still have to make money, but we can work with those kind of clients on a more discounted basis whilst working with other clients on a, on a full day rate. And yeah, and we've sort of started to do more pro bono things, you know, 5% of our income now we we sort of give away for free i've been working with a local charity we tried to do that in a more kind of local mm-hmm. kind of sphere so we've been working with a, a children's theater in bath where we're based you know we've got quite a nice rounded team it's myself creative director two design directors phil and bex and we've got Yi, who's a middleweight designer and then we're about to have a junior um and it's amazing what you can get done with five people if you're super kind of organized and uh, work together well so you talk about being organized. Is there like a project management backbone or are you running the project management as well? Yeah, we're doing that as well. So wow. I, as I said earlier, I started my career at Hattrick Design, which is very much, you know, it's grown to about nine or 10 people when I left. But when I started, it was just myself and the three directors. And, you know, they just, they didn't have project management. So until we got to around the kind of seven or eight mark, I don't think we had any project managers. So you just learn to project manage mm-hmm. your own projects. Um, yeah. And actually, you know, I found that that can be, you know, you know, we don't do absolutely huge, huge rollout projects. Yeah. If we did, we'd definitely need project managers. But the size, size of project that we do, project managing it through the designers and through myself actually works really well because everyone's like really on top of everything from the kind mm-hmm. of, you know, finances, you know, everyone's kind of on top of how long they've got yeah. on a project, what, what the timing should be. The client particularly gets direct contact with the person actually doing the work. So there's no kind of things getting lost in translation with a middle person. What did you learn doing Magpie, doing your first agency that you're avoiding in this? Like what were the lessons that you learned in that first agency that you're avoiding in Supple? So um, Magpie was a blast and, you know, we were all late 20s, early 30s. We'd never been creative directors. We were just sort of seniors at <laughs> other agencies. Yeah. We'd all met at university and all worked together at different agencies and just there was no big business plan. We just kind of got together in a pub and all thought we wanted to go freelance and we kind of set Magpie up as a company to freelance through to start off with, but it kind of, we started to pick up our own clients and then all of a sudden we were, you know, in the kind of kitchen working together on laptops and, and pitching for projects. And um, it kind of happened from there. I guess the learnings were like, <laughs> we had no idea about things like uh, VAT and accounting and stuff like that. So we'd kind of, you know, it kind of started to run away where we were starting to get bigger and bigger clients and invoicing projects. And, you know, we didn't know that we had to become VAT registered. So <laughs> I think about six or eight months into running the business we were like oh maybe we should get an accountant because yeah, this big 
big pile of receipts and another big pile of invoices and we haven't done anything with it. And uh, the accountant came in and was like, of course you're VAT registered, right? And we were like, uh, no. <laughs> <What's> that? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. So that was kind of embarrassing because we had to kind of uh, retro invoice some clients and say, you know that invoice we sent you three months ago, can we send it to you again, but with VAT? Uh, sorry about that, which is pretty embarrassing. But um, so you don't make those mistakes twice. I think the other kind of learnings were just about, you know, I think, again, like time management, just, you know, we weren't very good at it because we just, we didn't know when to yeah. say no to a project, I guess. We were quite young and green and excited to just work on anything. So we just said yes to everything pretty much. And I guess what I've learned from that is that's good to a certain degree, but there's got to be moments where you say no, whether that's because the chemistry and fit isn't right with that client, even if the budget is, or more importantly, just already got too much work on and, you know, you don't want to kind of wear your team out and burn them out. And, you know, I think, not that we work late all the time or anything, but we definitely have moments where through our own kind of disorganization, we probably worked a lot harder than we needed to. Um, So that's one thing I've definitely tried to avoid here. You know, there's no... Yeah, we work 9.30 to 6 and a lot of the team here have got families and things to get home to so that we're pretty strict about that. There's obviously the odd moment where something goes wrong or, yeah. you know, things happen. But generally we're pretty, you know, I'm pretty good at saying no or asking for more time or whatever it might be, just being a little bit more on top of that kind of time thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I think that's the key one. But, you know, at the same time, we still do say yes to incredible projects when they come along and you know yeah. if we all agree as a team that yeah we're going to like go the extra mile to fit this extra project in that's going to be great then we'll, we'll do it you know but it's for me now it has to be a kind of team decision rather than just mine i don't want to kind of overload the team and and uh burn them up it's funny because like when you think about early 20s you're you're just charging for everything. You're just learning, absorbing everything, and then you're mm-hmm. thir- you're in your 30s, and you're like, all right, now I'm just gonna crank, and you know, all nighters is kind of the the big part of it. Like this is how you think you you get things done, and then you know you get a little older, and you're like, what was I thinking? Like you know, I yeah. can get as much work done in an eight or nine hour stint as I used to in a 12 hour stint. Yeah, just yeah. by Again, it's like that learning process, right? It's like you build out your process and you, you can achieve just as much. I think one of the things I've sort of realized as I get more senior, so to speak, yeah. and, uh, you know, I'm like 45 now, so I've been doing this for like 21, 22 years. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't particularly get physically faster as in, you know, how quickly I can use the tools or whatever, but, but my decision-making is just smarter and more informed and, I guess my ability to sort of hop and jump from one mindset and one project to another is just better. And I've sort of instilled that in the team that actually the more senior you get, all you're getting better at is juggling the projects that are there and allotting your time and kind of just working smarter rather than harder. We get a lot done between nine day and six, but it can be a bit of a kind of crutch for designers to just think, oh, I'll, I'll work a bit late to get that finished rather than no, I'm going to work really hard now and yeah. get out the door at six. You know, I think um, that's the mentality here. Really. It's funny you say you haven't gotten any faster at the tools because I just think of my my workflow. Yeah. My, work, my workflow today isn't like from interacting with different tools, isn't much different than it was like 10 years ago. 
you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're not going to change. Uh, no. But I do, I do learn things every once in a while. Uh, if I'm working with like a young designer and they just mm-hmm. do something on screen, you're like, "Hey, how how'd you do that?" Yeah, I, I take yeah, yeah, I take like yeah. five steps to do that, and they're like, "Oh, there's a new yeah. button." And you're like, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah, yeah." The shortcut king. There's always a shortcut king. In yeah, the we've got we've got Phil. He's our like <laughs> short, shortcut meister. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And, and so some of the work that you guys do, you've got a killer reel, which again, you do uh, you do video, you do you know. You do motion. You do a lot of different things. Mm. You've done work for uh, squirrels, which we're not, you know, we're not familiar in the U.S. with the squirrels, but it's essentially like a like a scout group. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And uh, the squirrels logo is a lot of fun. You know, you've got this cute squirrel up front that makes the S. The tail is is the 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 S of it, but then the rest of the type, there's no hard edges, right? Mm. It's like really soft and fun. Uh, colors are great. Tell me a little bit about that, a little bit about that project and the team's involvement. Yeah, sure. So that was, you know, that's a dream project for us. That, to me, that's like, I think that's the epitome of what we do, that project really. You know, it's, it's, for me now, it's like the benchmark. You know, every project that we do, is it as good as Will's, is, is kind of where we're at now. And it's one of those ones that it came, it came out of the blue, that project. It was just a, an invite to tender uh, from the Scouts Association and the brief came through and, you know, I remember exactly where I was when the brief came through. I was queuing up for the post office and I just read the brief while I was in the queue and it was a really well-written brief and I pinged it onto the Slack for the team. Just said, look at this great bit of new biz. Everyone was just like super excited instantly. Um, you know, Scouts is, you know, such a kind of household name in the UK. You know, it's a it's an institution. There's, you know, my kids have both been cubs and beavers and all that stuff and yeah lots of people have sort of been through one or two of the kind of clubs and and um yeah it's just kind of really ingrained in british culture i think so you know it's kind of ticking the box for us in that it's kind of you know a famous brand but one with a kind of really good cause behind it a lot of purpose it's a charity obviously so the brief came in i asked for a kind of call with the person who sent the brief through because i think there was a, a sort of semi-lockdown in the uk it was kind of winter time i think we were in a lockdown and so yeah we did a zoom call and i just wanted to sort of sound out how many people were going to be you know pitching through this tender and 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 also just chat to the to the brand managers and just see what they were like and yeah. um, the brief seemed that they were really switched on and the call kind of proved that you know, Chris and Jade that I chatted to were just A, lovely, and B, really kind of engaged in the project and really knowledgeable about brand. So we found out it was a 10-way tender, so no wow. kind of creative, just just a written proposal and a very kind of specific one, six pages. You know, it's that thing of, you know, oh, I could have written a shorter letter, but I didn't have time, you know, to get your, <laughs> get your tender down to six pages is really hard. Um, and there was a lot to climb in there. So I, I think I spent two days writing that tender. But the lovely thing was, I'd, I'd, it was just fortuitous, I guess, but I'd been on holiday that summer. We were, you know, staycationing because of COVID. So we'd gone down to Bournemouth on the coast and we're National Trust members and we'd gone over to this island called Brownsea Island. And I kind of vaguely knew that it was the birthplace of the scout movement um, and we just like had a really lovely day there with the kids and you know learned about the island and stuff like that and it's got squirrels that live there and you know all these you know just and so as soon as this brief came in 
there was a line on the first page of the brief which they'd written, which was, if we change the start of the story, we change the whole story. And I just kind of honed in on that, and I just thought, well, that's a great, great line. You know, the, the squirrels would be the first part of anybody's journey through Scouts because it's an early year's provision, so pre-anything they'd sort of done before. And then I kind of, like, thought about that from the Brownsea Island point of view and the fact that Brownsea Island is also the beginning of the Scouts story. So let's kind of look to Brownsea Island as our inspiration. Um, and so that was in my pitch document you know my kind of response to the brief was you know love this yeah. line why don't we use Brownsea Island as the starting point for the brand and I just put in a picture of my kids stood next to the <laughs> scout, scout stone on the islands yeah. to sort of prove that I'd been there um, and it obviously worked you know we got down to the last three agencies and then it was a paid creative pitch um, just before Christmas so really mm-hmm. I think I think we pitched on the 23rd of December so really close to Christmas um, and, you know, not a very big pitch fee. So I kind of said to the team, right, you know, we were all in lockdown. I said, you know, let's get into the studio together, yeah. socially distanced just for this one day and just smash out an amazing pitch. And we did that. And, you know, we just had a really fun mm. day. We hadn't been in the studio together for like a month or something. So there was just a month buzz because we were just getting to work together in yeah. real life again. And so everyone was just, you know, on top form and we put together this deck and then we presented it the following Monday and it just went really well. You know, it was a great call. They had all the right people in the room, uh, the Zoom room, um, not just the brand managers, but everybody that was on the kind of board that needed to make those decisions, um, volunteers, all types of people. You know, when you've just got a really good deck and you just yeah. feel confident and, you know, it went well. And we weren't expecting to find out for two or three days. We've, I think we were supposed to find out on Christmas Eve. Um, but they called within an hour and said that we got the job, <laughs> which was amazing. It's it was amazing. Like the greatest, yeah, it was the greatest Christmas present you could imagine. And I, you know, it was just myself and uh, Yi, one of the designers here that did the call. Because um, everyone else, you know, it was so close to Christmas, everyone else had time off. So people had booked the week off. Um, and yeah, it was just like a big high five, punch the air kind of moment. And um, and then yeah, and then we sort of started the process properly in the new year. So we literally had Christmas, hit the ground running. We'd kind of shown some sketchy ideas. Mm-hmm. They fed back on the ones that were working. And, you know, the Squirrel S was in there right from the beginning. Strategy around Brownsea Island, you know, we were kind of referencing the flora and fauna for colours and you know we had a kind of tone of voice we'd already worked with a copywriter in the pitch we worked with a guy called jim davies at uh, total content so we had a, a really lovely kind of brand essence written already that they loved um you know we had many tone of voice guidelines for squirrels which were around joy and wonder and and the questioning nature of kids um so it was all kind of just in place and then we just kind of ran with it yeah it's a beautiful project if anybody you know is interested you can go to supplestudio.com and when you click on the squirrels project you scroll all the way to the bottom i love the sketches that show mm-hmm. the evolution of the logo i don't know for, for me i love a sketch because it shows so much thought process yeah right yeah that's how we start everything yeah for us it's like you know even though we've been in this lockdown, we've been using Miro boards. You know, mm-hmm. we all, when we we're all in person in the studio originally, we'd, we'd have a big whiteboard and we'd kind of stick post-it notes and things up there. And it would always be right. very sketchy. 
and we sort of replicated that through Miro boards. And so, yeah, squirrels, like all our projects, starts with a sketch. That logo type, you wouldn't believe the amount of uh, versions of that. And then we kind of got it to a place we were happy-ish. But it was just like, it's one of those things, it's like just kind of slight things to sweeten it up. And we ended up uh, working with a guy called Rob Clark, who's like the master of logo types and typographic identities. And um, we got him involved and he came back with like 20 more options. Um, and we presented like four of those to the client and then um, the final one, as you see. But yeah, that evolution was, you know, it's not made up. There was a lot of versions. Yeah. <laughs> it's, such a simple, it's such a simple idea and it was kind of probably an idea we had on day one, but it took hours and hours of, of craft to get yeah. it to look natural in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really having a great time doing these uh, interviews with the team from Penn Awards. You're a judge. Uh, I'm a judge mm-hmm. this year. And you know, just Great. working with uh, with Adam at uh, at Penn Awards and Jen, we're interviewing different judges and different winners. And it's great when I get to a site for somebody that I'm in, that I'm about to interview, and I see a project that I've fallen in love with years ago or a while ago, you know. And that project for me is the the From jackets. Oh, cool. You know, for anybody that's not familiar, you're familiar. You just don't re- recall the name. For anybody that's listening, you don't mm. recall the name from jackets. You don't, you know, it doesn't put anything together, but it's these boxes with these beautiful jewel toned beetles on it. And honestly, I didn't even know what was in these boxes until I came to your site. I just love the boxes themselves. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and you were kind enough to send me uh, like the deck for, mm. uh, for the whole process, but let's start at the beginning. With from you mentioned with squirrels that when they sent over the initial tender that they had a a really well written brief that it was really well yeah. defined. So with yeah. with from it feels similar that the results here are coming from a, a great brief. So what does that brief look like? <laughs> from in a way is kind of the opposite of scouts <laughs> in terms of in terms of kind of just like a formalized brief. You know, like we got a great brief, but we got it verbally. So just to sort of rewind that project. So from a local, um, local-based local company, uh, Nick that runs it, he's the kind of designer behind From Jackets. And I just discovered them, I think, through Instagram. Somebody else that I follow had reposted yeah. one of their jackets or something like that a few years ago. Um, and it was just a beautiful jacket. And I, I'm a bit of a kind of jacket obsessive, I have to say. And... I kind of ummed and ahed for ages because they weren't cheap and I ummed and ahed <laughs> about buying one. And then I eventually kind of bit the bullet and bought one. And, you know, because they were a fledgling company, this was their first ever jacket. Nick, the founder, actually hand-delivered the jacket to me. And because you know, he came into the design studio yeah. and he obviously walked in, said, oh, I'm looking for Jamie. We ended up chatting. He obviously looked around the room and saw the, you know, paraphernalia of a graphic design agency and was like, oh, what do you guys do? And, you know, we just got chatting. Um, I've since bought maybe one, maybe two more jackets <laughs> um, <laughs> over, over the course of a year after that. And, um, and you yeah, know, and just kind of, he's very good on social media. So we'd sort of engaged in social media a bit. And, um, you know, I just really like the, the brand. I really liked his kind of brand of honesty that he has. He, he ran a, another quite successful um cycling clothing brand called Valpine, um, which got quite big 
in the sort of from sort of 2010 onwards, I think that actually for various reasons um, just failed as a business. It got too big and kind of imploded, and that led to him having, you know, by his own mission, admission, a bit of a kind of breakdown and and actually feeling suicidal. Um, yeah. And so that really sort of informs the Fram brand. You know, he's he's kind of created Fram to avoid that happening to anyone else, including himself. So every jacket that he sells is, is on a pre-order basis. So he's not making jackets that no one needs or wants. So there's no wastage. He's not kind of having to take money out of his own pocket to, to start a new product. Um, so he's, you know, it's a much safer business for him. He is the brand in a way, and he does a, a regular video kind of blog thing where he talks about how he's feeling and, you know, He's just really open about his emotions and his mental health and everything. And so it's a very big part of the brand. And he's always given £10 from every jacket sale to a mental health charity in the UK. That's kind of the the backstory. And then a couple of years after buying my first jacket, Nick uh, dropped me a line. In fact, it was his wife, Emily, who dropped me a line. She was like, oh, I've joined Nick. And my first job is to... um, get some packaging because you know we're kind of just sending out our jackets in a brown box and it doesn't you know mm-hmm. there's no kind of um you know brand recognition or any drama to kind of you know you're spending yeah. quite a lot of money on one of their jackets they're very expensive beautifully made things um so yeah so they popped in for a meeting and you know i've kind of met nick obviously a bit I hadn't met emily really and they were just lovely and you know, the brief was really simple, basically. They'd sort of changed their positioning a couple of months before to tough, beautiful. Um, and it's just about life being tough and life being beautiful, you know, just kind of really building on this kind of mental health awareness kind of thing. And they said, look, we, you know, we can't afford bespoke packaging. We need to use kind of off-the-shelf mm-hmm. stuff, but we want to we kind of create some real impact. We want to create sustainable packaging that when people receive a jacket they're gonna you know there's gonna be a bit of theater to the unboxing and it's gonna be you know something that you know ideally they'd want to keep but they yeah. wouldn't even bid um and so yeah so that was really the brief you know to sort of tie in with the tough beautiful mantra um to get across that 10 pound from every jacket would go to at that point mind uh, charity and and yeah and then they kind of left us to it and um you know, the budget was tiny, you know, I, I think they said they had a thousand pounds and I was like, look, don't worry about paying us. Just, you know, pay me and Phil who are working on jackets. That's <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and I, I just wanted to do the project. I wanted to help them out. Yeah. You know, they're just sort of going and I love the brands and, you know, I, and I just knew you know, Nick and Emily were both from a creative background. They're both kind of film um, and advertising producers, you know, they worked in that kind of, world so i just knew that they'd kind of get it and um so yeah so phil and i worked on the on the project and you know they, well, the other thing is they needed it pretty quickly i think we had about 12 days from when they briefed us to when they wanted it to go to print because they wanted to send out their winter jackets in these new boxes phil was uh shielding his his newborn kid at that time during covid so he was working from home i was yeah. working from here um we both only spent about half a day Sort of thinking about it really it was one of those ones where we sort of jumped on a zoom call and we both had the same idea you know i was like oh, i've got this beetle idea and feels like oh, i've got this beetle idea <laughs> it's crazy and, you know we sh- showed our sketchbooks to each other yeah. 
And we were like, right, well, that's route one then. <laughs> it was just like, you know, it just made so much sense. Both of us, both of our rationales were the same, you know, that the, you know, Farm Jackets are moving much more into sort of an outdoorsy brand, you know, as much as they're kind of smart jackets you can wear in the city, you can also wear one, you know, to walk through the woods or, you know, they're often waterproof and showerproof and, you know, thornproof and all those kind of things. So, you know, tough, beautiful element of that works really well and we just felt like beetles just beautiful things they're tough you know they've got this kind of outer shell which is what the jacket does for you as a sort of human being it's giving you this kind of protection and yeah and they just we just thought well you know the box some of the boxes were quite big so these tiny beetles blown up into a huge box size is just going to be pretty stunning anyway and then we had to create three different sizes of pack that got progressively smaller and we just found native British beetles, you know, put the biggest beetle on the biggest box, the middle size one in the middle. You know, it was kind of starting to design itself in a way. That's the beauty of when you have a good idea and it's yeah. the decision making gets made for you. It's kind of, you know, the rationale is is there already. And uh, yeah, it was just one of those dream projects. And then one of the other things I'd scribbled down was this idea of open up. So I knew that we had to sort of get across the idea that every jacket you bought would donate £10 to a mental health charity and how do you do that in a way that doesn't feel preachy or pious or, yeah. you know, kind of doesn't feel like in your face. And, um, and yeah, and they needed a, a, a tape to, to wrap up the boxes and seal the boxes and uh, came up with this open-up line, um, which obviously just has a nice duality, a double meaning of opening the box and then opening up your own emotional kind of state. Um, and yeah, and that was that was it really. It was <laughs> it's blindingly simple. And actually, you know, we kind of once we presented it to them, well, I think we presented them a couple of ideas, but Nick just loved the beetle idea instantly. As I look through the deck, you know, you you had the beetle idea, that was idea one, and then you've got mm -hmm. your route two, which was text. It was just all all text. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the idea with route two was that it was a kind of outpouring of of kind of about mental health almost mm -hmm. like a poetic kind of story that starts with life is tough and ends with life is beautiful yeah so the tough beautiful kind of thing bookends this piece of coffee um, which kind of ties in with a lot of nick's kind of blogs and ramblings sure. that he does where he sort of yeah he just loved the the beetle thing and if you see that deck it's interesting obviously i didn't open that deck for a year or so <laughs> um open that deck before this call and actually there's a couple of visuals which pretty much look the same as the final <laughs> project, <laughs> which doesn't happen very often. And, it, you know, it's just, it was a great brief and a great client that just had, you know, just believed in it and trusted us. And it's funny, yeah, it's, it's a project where, like I say, we did for the cost of some jackets, you know, but also with, in the knowledge that we'd built a great relationship with, with Farm. Yeah. But it's been our, probably our most award-winning project we've ever done. And, and it, you know, you look at Scouts, which took nine months, and you look at Farm, which took, nine days probably yeah. you know we, it literally went to print print 10 days after we got the brief i think you know we presented it a week later they loved it we did the artwork and it went it went to print and it you know made their christmas market and everything else and um yeah they're kind of in the same they're two kind of really different but similar projects in yeah. a way you know it's the same process but it's just um a condensed thing yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I think um, so. There, there's two things. One is 
the fact that they came to you with, we've got to, we're in a position that we have to buy stock packaging, right? We can't do bespoke packaging. Uh, and a lot of times agencies will say, you know what, I'm sorry, you know, we don't want to work with uh, stock packaging, right? Because the, the, the yeah. agency sometimes yeah. feels that, well, that's not going to be, you know, I can't resell this to another client or I can't use this as a promotional piece for myself. I love the idea that you, you took it on one, it, uh, the packaging is amazing, but also it really shows that for startups, you can do uh, stock packaging and you can make amazing yeah. stock packaging if you partner yeah, with the yeah. right team, yeah. right? Because it's, yeah. a box is a box. It's yeah, yeah. I mean, for us, it was just like, well, here's a massive canvas. So, yeah. you know, how do we how do we make a box that you'd want to actually put on your shelf and display it? You know, that was kind of really when we got that brief. That was like, for me, that was the goal. You know, and actually, when they launched it, you know, they obviously sent it to um, you know men's fashion bloggers and people like that that are kind of influencers on mm. on Instagram and stuff. And there's a there's a guy called Well Dressed Dad. Um, who's a farm fan and he did a whole unboxing with the packaging posted about it said it's the best packaging he's ever seen for any clothing range you mm. know and he's he's probably getting sent every yeah. <laughs> massive brand of jacket you know your barbers your bell stuffs your everything else but he's raving about some packaging which is actually off the shelf digitally printed you know it's not yeah. it's not actually any sort of high production value but it's just a lot of thought that's gone into it and um yeah it's, it's, it's a really good example of, you know, that's not a huge budget and there's loads of restrictions and that's actually what makes it a better budget. In yeah. a way. Well, that's, that, that, yeah, that's, that's the other part is, is the, the number of restrictions, right? When you have a lot of parameters mm -hmm. on a project mm -hmm. and a lot of times, you know, if you go back to that 20, you know, early twenties designer, you don't want restrictions, right? You're just like, no, I want to do whatever I want, but when yeah, yeah. you have tight restrictions on packaging design that can go in a million different directions, mm -hmm. creative tends to be so much better because now you get to design be as creative as you possibly can within such a small set yeah. of, of rules. Yeah. Yeah. For me, like the tighter the brief, the happier I am, I think. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think the, the worst thing you can do is just say to me, design anything on anything. <laughs> I'd just be like, oh, sorry, God, I don't know where to start. You know, there's just too many options. Whereas if you say you've got 10 days to design some packaging for these jackets and they have to be these three box sizes that already exist. Like, okay, go. That's it. I'm there. You know? Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a challenge, right? And I think we all love yeah, a challenge. Exactly. So amazing. And then you, you said you meant you picked up uh, this one, a ton of awards, um, which of course it's amazing. So what does that do? What does winning an award do for an agency? For us, really, we don't really do any marketing or any new business. Mm -hmm. um, and we never have. And, and so awards really uh, are our marketing and new business. So, you know, the good thing about the Farm Project is, is you know, Nick and Emily wanted, you know, a big part of their market is people like us who are graphic designers, directors that, that buy jackets <laughs> and so they were like you know we're up for entering it into every award game because you know that's our part of our audience and we want to get the name out there um so they kind of we agreed to pay you know 50 50 on all the fees of entering it into awards um and yeah and it's just it's just kind of been a really good you know for us we want to do more packaging work you now like i said earlier phil 
has got a background in packaging. I've done various packaging projects in the past. And, you know, it's, at the moment, it's a fairly small part of what we do, even though we're very good at it. And so we wanted to do more of that. So we entered this into all the packaging awards, like Pent Awards, and, you know, amazingly won a huge award, which we're really chuffed with. Part of it is, for us, it's a, it's a kind of way of attracting good talent, you know, new designers, they might see our works and want to work with an agency like us. So, you know, I'm sure the fact we've just had 80 applicants for our junior designer position is partly because we've got a bit of a profile through awards and things like that. Um, B, it's a kind of pat on the back to the team. You know, it's, yeah, when you win an award, it kind of feels good and it validates what you do. It means your peers are appreciating your work. Um, Yeah, it's not the be all and end all, like, you know, it's um you know for us it we we sort of have a bit of a punt on awards because they do tend to convert into new business leads for us people see them clients see them yeah of course uh, you know and it's and, you know clients like to see that the work you've done for them is good enough to win an award that makes them feel good too and they're obviously a big part of the project you know like projects like farm and, and squirrels don't happen without great clients great briefs you know the client still has to sell it up the line and make it happen um so we're you know for us it's a kind of celebration of that relationship as well as you know what we're doing it's not all just about us and um, yeah so i think you know those are the main reasons and um yeah it does seem to convert for us you know we do get calls and new business leads through these things so um yeah it seems to work and how, how did um so how did the visibility of the from packaging translate to business for from have have they grown have they seen significant growth from this yeah i mean you know i don't think they can probably hang it all on the on the packaging but they but they you know as i said it, it was just nick then emily they started to you know make enough money for emily his wife to join i think they've now grown to five oh, people amazing. Um, and I think we ended that packaging like 18 months ago. So it's, you know, it's quite a quick growth. So yeah, but I can't, I'd love to say that it's all because of the packaging that they're, they're you, you can. so big. But... You, you, you can't, like yeah, the, the, the jackets are, the jackets are amazing. The jackets are amazing, but it's really the packaging. That's what people are buying. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, man, that's, that's awesome. And I guess as we start to wrap up, what's the one critical part of your design process that you always lean on like what is the one piece that you have to do before you before you kick off any project i mean i think for us it's really it's really about getting to know the client properly i mean i'm sure every agency has their kind of like x number of steps process that they do for us we call it the 4ds so we have this kind of digging defining designing delivering thing and the digging bit is really the key bit for for getting getting it right really you know it's it's about uh, fully understanding the client and all the issues that they've got or that project that they're commissioning to do, you know, what's the challenges for that. And really sort of understanding yeah, how they tick, what makes them tick, what makes them different, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's interesting with a project like From, I felt like I was almost a kind of brand ambassador already because I had pretty much one of every jacket they released by that point. I was kind of embedded. I was engaged in their social media activity and kind of just, you know, believing in it all and kind of felt like I, which is, you know, to be fair to Nick, that's the reason he came to us because he knew that I loved the brand. And so, you know, you're going to get a good job from someone who's already 
fully engaged and fully kind of on board. Um, and he knew that, you know, it's pretty savvy. Whereas with a project like Scouts, you know, I know I know Scouts through my kids being uh, members, but, you know, I'm not fully aware of everything that, that, that sort of, um, you know, the history and everything else. And so, yeah, it's just about sort of becoming a bit of an overnight expert is really the key sure. point for us. You know, it's just kind of soaking everything up. So what was it? What were the 40s again? So it's digging, yeah. which is kind of research phase, essentially defining, which is writing that strategy piece, you know, which can be, you know, if it's a huge job, it can be quite a long document. If it's a tiny, quick job, it can just be, you know, a bit of a, a kind of one-liner rationale mm. for the sort of building blocks of what you're about to present. Um, and then designing is obviously the concept stage. Um, and then delivering would be the artwork and the rollout and all those things. Um, but yeah, for me, that kind of defining phase, that digging and defining, that's really key to kind of making sure that when you get to the designing bit, you're doing stuff that answers the brief and is, isn't just kind of like pretty visuals. You know, obviously everything we do, we try to make it look as great as possible, but it has to be built on a solid idea that sort of, you know, when you do that, then the idea that hopefully if you get it right, and you get that defining bit right and the client agrees it, then when you get to the designing phase and you present a concept, it's already kind of, it stops being um, subjective and it becomes objective because it's it's so ingrained in that kind of defining piece that you've, that you've written, even if that's a one-liner, even if that's Tough Beautiful, which is already existing, you know, you, you talk about Beatles and you talk about Tough Beautiful, you almost don't need to say anything, you know, you just... Yeah, and that's that's when it's the sweet spot of, of really kind of answering the brief. Um, but yeah, I think that's the kind of key moment for us, really. The rest of it is logistics and craft and all that stuff to kind of make that final, you know, 50% to get out the door and make sure it, it's a beautiful piece of design that goes out the door. But that, that initial bit is where the it lives or dies, I think. What's the perfect client for Supple? Who should be calling? Who should be calling you today? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, now you're asking. Um, I mean, for us, it's it's just about, you know, new challenges and um, and about, you know, this, this B Corp journey we're on. It's not kind of lip service. We're not just doing it because it's kind of cool or anything like that. It just, you know, it's interesting. Joe, who's our uh, B leader that we're working with to put together this stuff, you know, we're, we're kind of getting towards the end of the process now. And I had a meeting with her earlier this week. And she was like, you know, this isn't like, you're not making this stif- stuff up. This is stuff you're already doing before I came along to help you with this B Corp accreditation. You're just evidencing the things you already do. And this kind of made me realize that, you know, that's what I want to do more of. So, so you know, projects where there's a lot, there's a big reach, you know, where we it's a, you know, like Scouts, a sort of famous brand with a with a big national or international reach, um, where our design can actually make a difference. That is the kind of sweet spot for us, and that doesn't have to be a not for profit. It can just, you know, any business where what they're doing, whether what they're making, what they're selling, what they're giving is kind of enriching people's lives and the planet. Then that's like exactly where I want to be, and you know. I think I just feel like I don't know, maybe it's like we were talking about getting a bit older earlier and I'm, you know, in my mid 
40s and um you know my oldest is 12 now and he's pretty right on about saving the planet and stuff and i just feel like you know we owe it to the next generation of of kids you know to sort of like do the best we can to to keep the world in in good shape and if we can do that a little bit through the design we do then that's that's the dream for me just real quick what's the benefit of being certified a b corp for design agency is this something that other agencies should look into um and and why and why should they yeah i think so i mean i think yeah, there's a, there's a few agencies now that i know that have, that have got b corp accreditation um except and proceed in london and saboteur in london um Milton Williams, who are based here in Bath, also just got B Corp. Um, I think, yeah, I think if you're if you care about the people that work for you and the kind of clients that you work with, um, and the supply chain that you work with, you know, the the people that you that you work with to produce whatever you're producing, whether that's you know printers or um, motion people or illustrators or whatever, you know, it's all about making sure that everyone's cared for and and then, yeah, and then, you know, for us, it's about just we want to attract more of those clients that, that are in the same mindset. So more of those not-for-profits, those social impact, climate impact kind of clients. And, you know, we work with a lot of those kind of clients already. And, you know, quite often when you um, get invited to be on a on a roster for, for a not-for-profit, there's quite a lot of paperwork to do to prove um you know that you that there's no kind of like modern slavery going on in any of your yeah. supply chain all those things you know and that's the reality be, yeah and by being a b corp you they know instantly that all that stuff is is ticked you know that you're you're a good company who take care of their staff and their supply chain and so you know more and more corporates are becoming b corps as well and yeah. there's a there's a kind of duty of care once you're a b corp to try and work with other b corps because they're singing from the same hymn sheet as you so i think it's not just hopefully not just an empty kind of thing i think the people because it's not easy to do you know i've spent pretty much every friday for the last six months kind of making this happen um so you know it's not you can't just tick a bunch of boxes and and get accredited you've got to prove it and that's a lot of work so you know you don't do it kind of lightly yeah i'd really really I've really enjoyed the process. And to be honest, even if we got rejected now, I'd still feel like we're a better company out there there at the end of this kind of six month period, because we've just been a lot more thoughtful, a lot more reflective. Um, You know, it's kind of instilled values in the team. We've sat down as a team and talked about our mission as a company and who we want to work with and and things like that. And um, yeah, it's just really kind of embedded that in our culture, I think. And so, you know, even if we weren't to get the B Corp accreditation next year or later this year, whatever it might be, it, we're still better for it, I think. So, yeah, totally recommend it. If you're looking for a B Corp agency, call my man Jamie, you know, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put that on our website. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pensworlds is celebrating our 16th annual competition. We have partnered with Package Design Unboxed to bring you exclusive content from our jury and previous winners. Our competition is currently open until the 1st of April, 
Pentools would love to see your packaging designs. Submit them at pentools.com. Hey, I want to introduce you to idpdirect.com. We recently won a Silver Pen Awards for collaborating on the future of sustainable packaging. If you want to work directly with the packaging manufacturer and you're tired of distributors and middlemen, check them out. Visit idpdirect.com to learn more. Check out SpecWrite, the number one platform for specification management. Not sure what board your box uses? Not sure how many colors or how much headspace your packaging requires? If you don't spec right, you'll guess wrong. SpecWrite.com.